0: Alright, for the Sunday school hour, we'll do what we typically would be doing for the next hour. We'll go back to Romans, chapter 8, the doctrine of reprobation. And we'll see what you remember and see how far we can go to complete this. The doctrine of reprobation. First, let's just go with the basic definition. What's the definition of the doctrine of reprobation? All right. God's sovereign decision to pass over others and not save them, the decision of God in eternity past is called reprobation. Reprobation is the sovereign decision of God before creation to pass over some persons and sorrow, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins and thereby to manifest His justice. Now, the minute you start saying reprobation, obviously it's controversial. People get upset. But whether... Whether intentionally or unintentionally, you almost always, when you start talking about reprobation, what other subject kind of manifests itself and you have to deal with? God's decrees. Okay, remember that's we we spent a lot of time on God's decrees, right? So what? When, and so we kind of taken a detour from reprobation to look at the subject of God's decrees. Now all of this started because we're in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, we looked at six words, right? We didn't put the word reprobation there because the word doesn't actually appear in the text, but the concept we believe is manifesting itself. It's basically it's a concept you have to deal with because if you deal with the fact that of election, then Your question, what what, what question always, I mean, there's lots of questions, but one question that typically comes to everyone's mind, okay, if God elects some to salvation, what about those who are not elected? How do we understand that? And that's where the doctrine of reprobation comes into play, okay? So, we, we we, we looked at the doctrine of reprobation, and then this led us to a discussion about God's decrees. And so we kind of, we took a slight detour and we started looking at some different systems talking about God's decrees and some of these issues. We looked at the Pelagian view, yes, all right. Uh, We looked at the semi-Pelagian view. We looked at the Arminian view. We looked at the Emeraldian view, if I can say the word right, Emeraldian view, And we just gave some basic information about the Emeraldian view. Then we looked at the Infra-Lapsarian view. And then we looked at the Supra-Lapsarian view. And I was like, we're done. Yay! And then, no, we weren't done. Why were we not done? Because Lydia and Sarah couldn't leave it alone. Right? What did they ask? Anybody remember? Nobody remembers what they asked? Okay. Hopefully Sarah remembers. Okay. Sarah better remember. Okay. They asked, "So what is the order of God's decrees?" You covered the systems, but you didn't give us the actual order of God's decrees." And I'm like, "Okay. So, we'll back up and then we'll we'll do that, right? We'll keep adding and adding and adding until everyone is, well, has this down." So, after we looked at the systems, then we backed up and started looking at the actual orders, right? So, Basically, since the Protestant Reformation, there are four main views, right? The Arminian view, the Emeraldian view, the Superlapsarian, and the Infralapsarian. And when we say views, we'll we'll state it this way. The Arminian order, the Emeraldian order, the Superlapsarian order, and the Infralapsarian order. Okay, the last time we covered this, and I know there was like a two-week break there, because, well, 1 Corinthians 10.13 ended up taking two weeks. Um, that gave us somewhat of a break. So I know that, that sometimes when we do that, everyone forgets. But we covered in the last one, if you don't remember, the Arminian order. In fact, we completed the study of the Arminian order. All right? So the Arminian order is is based on his insistence on conditional election Jacobus Arminius arranged the decrees as follows. Anybody remember the six steps of his, the six points of his understanding of the order of God's decrees? Number one, God's decree to create the world. Number two, foreknowledge of the fall. Now, what is significant about that? He didn't decree the fall in the Arminian view. He just knew about it. But what's the problem with this little trick and trying to get out of it? <laughs> if he knew it and didn't do anything to stop it, then, you, then how can you say that he, in a sense he didn't decree it because he allowed it to happen? Yes? Now, I know that creates problems, and nobody likes that idea, right? As soon as I say that, what, what starts formulating in people's minds? Well, we all we know he didn't stop it. So say it. You almost view then God as being responsible or the author of sin, and people get don't and we 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 try to avoid that. And I know it creates problems. And not only that, if you think about it, it creates problems about every sin that anyone has ever committed. Because God knows the sin you're going to commit before you commit it, and He doesn't intervene in order to stop you from committing said sin. So how can you say then that God didn't? Somehow uh, decree it, want it to happen. Now, once you start thinking of God decreeing sins you commit or I commit, how do then we how do we view when that sin takes place? And we even see this in the Bible. Remember, we've talked about this, and this I know it makes everyone uncomfortable, but we have to deal with it, right? We see a situation where Abram and Sarai, Abram lies. That's the sin, right? Put Sarai in, a, in a, a dangerous situation, right? Where she could end up having relations with someone other than her husband. And in those situations, what occurred? He intervened. But when Sarai came up with the idea for Abram to have relations with Hagar, God doesn't step in. Now, my question is, Why? Right? Any good Bible student. Well, why? Why? Because if God can step in in one case, why wouldn't he step in in all cases? And then we could all avoid what? Sin. But he clearly does it. So somehow, I know it's hard to grasp, somehow sin has to be a part of his eternal plan. And I'm not saying that that makes him the author of it. I'm just saying that it's a part of his plan. Okay? Okay. The, the Arminian view is, tries to get God, no, he, he decreed creation, but that whole fall thing, he just knew it was going to happen. But if he knew it was going to happen, are you saying he didn't have the power to stop it from happening? You see where that leads? All right. What was the third part of the Arminian order of God's decrees? God decrees to send his son as savior for those who repent, believe, and persevere. All right? And please note, well, there's a lot we could go with that one. Okay. Number four, God decrees to provide a means to enable repentance and faith. And number five, God's foreknowledge of which individuals repent and believe. And then what was number six? God's decrees to save those who believe, do good works, and persevere, and to condemn those who do not. What was one of the major issues of the Arminian order that, that I guess nobody here had ever heard of? And we, we discussed not. The last time we didn't discuss it probably, it's, it goes back a couple of weeks. Starts with a P. Prevenia grace. grace. Remember, now, a lot of you didn't know what that was. Now everybody understands that. I, I don't have time to go back through it, but... You definitely need to understand that because that kind of fits in in some of that. Okay, all right. We talked about the main criticism of it. Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to have time to go back through everything. All right, I'm not. I'm not going to go back through everything there. All right. So we finished the Armenian order. All right, everybody got that. Now that brings us to the next one. What's the next one? The Emeraldian order. The Emeraldian order. Everybody remember. Uh, the um, some ba- does anybody remember some basic things about Emerald de- Deism? It was developed. Uh, it was uh, Emerald de- 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 <laughs> Emerald Deism was developed uh, historically following what? Synod of Dort and somebody was getting ready to say it. It was what? A compromise between Calvinism and early Arminianism by giving up what was perceived as some of the harshness of Calvinism, right? And who was the uh, Emerald D. N. viewed, named after? Okay, Moses Emer- Emerald, and he lived from 1569 to, or, or I'm sorry, 1569 to 1664, right? And, uh yeah. There, there's a lot more. We, we, I mean, we went through all of that, so hopefully you remember all of that. Now let's go through the, the order that they provided. All right, Everybody ready? Yes? All right. Um, I'm go, I'm gonna, I, think, I think this is important to understand. The Emerald De- Deism arranges the order of God's decrees in order to support a hypothetical universalism. All right, that's very important to understand. God decreed that Christ would die for all men and then decreed the election of only some fallen man to believe and to be saved. Uh, Yeah, a hypothetical universalism. Why is it a hypothetical universalism? Because Christ died for? Everyone, Christ died forever. Remember, we've got to continue to remind ourselves that within Christian history, there's two very important d- different views when it comes to Christ dying for people, right? What are the two views? Okay, a, a universal, or you can call it a universal atonement. Christ died for every person, man, woman, boy, girl, for everyone who ever lived and ever, will ever live. He died for everybody. Right? What's the other view? A limited, right? And that Christ only died... And some say well, Christ died for the elect. I think the best way to say it is Christ died for those in whom he will save. Now, what's the problem with the universal idea? Well, where do you, where do you, where do you find yourself maybe having a problem logically? How does go to if Christ died for everyone and that death actually did something, in other words, atone for everyone's sin, well, if everyone's sins have been atoned for, then for what sin are they going to be punished for throughout eternity? So what they typically say is, well, Christ died for everyone, but you have to accept the death for it to do something. Well, if I don't accept the death, is that a sin? And if you say, yes, it's a sin of unbelief, well, did Christ not die for all sins? he died for all sins except for the sin of unbelief you see so now you have to say well he died for everyone and you have to just and so typically you probably know how preachers typically do it right if you've ever been a southern Baptist church or in a revival uh, they'll open up their wallet they'll pull out like you know a five dollar bill and they'll ask some kid do you want this five dollar bill see here I've got the five dollars right Do you want it? And and then the kid will come up and and say, see, that's how it works. See, Christ died, but you have to come and get it. You have to. Okay, it's kind of I mean, I know it's like a. it's supposedly a a great illustration and everybody's like, amen, and that's wonderful. And then the kid's like, I got five dollars. And everybody thinks it's a cute little story. I don't know. I don't know how literally I don't know how logical or in depth that is. I, I I do like the simplicity of it. But the problem with simplicity is sometimes we want simplicity versus truth, right? And sometimes truth is not what simple. I think you end up with a problem. If Christ died for everyone, then hypothetically everyone should be saved, unless you're just saying Christ, like, did he really do anything on the cross? Was he really dying for sin? Was he? Does the death really produce forgiveness? So. They, they, they go with the idea. And why do they want to go with the hypothetical universalism? Why does the Emerald D.N. De, view want to go with a hypothetical universalism? Calvinism was too harsh. So they're going to try to find a cop. But think of, I, I want to make sure we understand this. Everybody gets upset about this. Everybody gets so mad. And I I just got emailed the other day, because someone was like this Calvinism thing, they were not happy with me about the Calvinism thing, so they had unsubscribed to the podcast. But then they thought they would ask me. Then I tried to explain it to them. And then they're like, well, "Okay, maybe I'll subscribe again." They can't. They can't make up their mind. Okay, and I, and I'm like, everyone gets upset, but let's just take a step back. I've got. I've, I've got to just. I should read the emails just so that you you see how this conversation played out. But I want you to just think about this from just a logical. Perspective. Everyone gets upset. Everyone gets mad. But if you think about it, where do we end up with? All right? Okay, let's go through this. You can say Christ died for everyone. Who's going to be saved? Christ only died for those who will believe. Who's going to be saved? Those who believe. So in either case, those who believe will be saved, and those who don't believe will won't be saved. So if I say Christ only died for those who will be saved, why do you get upset? Because anyone who believes, Christ died for and will be saved. It's like everybody's like, well, you can't say that. Christ died for everyone. How how, how dare you say that? Okay, so Christ died for everyone, so everyone's saved? Well, absolutely not. Okay. So why are you upset? This is trying to understand it from a logical perspective, where you don't end up where. What's the thing you want to avoid? Starts with a U. Universalism. That's what you want to avoid. Okay, many universalists will say, uh, if you're getting to an argument, the universalists are going to say, "Did Christ die for everyone? Yes. Did His death do anything? Well, yeah, it paid for sin. Then why does anyone go to hell?" Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you have to try to argue back. Well, it, and then you see, then you end up, but if you look, argue it from the perspective that Christ died for those whom he will save, well, then there's no, there's no danger of universalism, right? Does that make sense? So I just make sure you understand that when you get into these eternal decrees and the order of the decrees, everybody gets so upset, but just from a practical earthly perspective, even when you're dealing with election and predestination, from an earthly perspective, how does it work? I have the gospel, right? I preach the gospel to whom? To anyone and everyone, and I call them to believe. If they believe, they are... End of story. That's, the, that's from earth, right? But the Bible, for some reason, doesn't just leave it there, does it? It takes us, in a sense, by the hand and takes us up into heaven... And says, here's how it works from a heavenly perspective. And then we start finding what concepts thrown at us? Election. Predestination. God works all things according to his counsel and will. All right, wait a minute. Okay, how does this all work? We've got now, we've got God's, the providence of God, right? We've got the decrees of God. We've got all of these issues. Some people don't want to go up there. They're like, no, 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 don't take me to heaven. Leave me here on earth, because if I get up there, it gets confusing. I do believe it gets confusing. I wouldn't want to go there. But the text takes us there. So you can't just get there and go, nah, this election stuff, just, no, 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 I don't, no. Well, you you can play all day like it doesn't exist, but it does, right? And again, you have issues like, who is called the elect? Christians. Is God the elect? We're the elect. Who does the electing? God. Who, is the, who are the elected? Those who are saved. So that means I couldn't have chosen God because that would mean me electing God. It has to be God choosing me because he elected me. Well, just that logical understanding means, oh, I've got to figure this out. Nobody likes that. But the reality is, Whether you like it or don't like it, who's going to be saved? Who will not be saved? How is it controversial? You end up with the exact same spot. I just, just, sometimes the the back and forth on, on it just drives me crazy. It just drives me crazy. So, Understand that that's why they went with the hypothetical universalism. To me, instead of trying to find a way to get rid of the harshness of the subject, just step back and say, if we throw out all of these concepts, what do we end up with? Those who believe are saved, those who don't believe are not saved. And if we bring in all the concepts, what are we left with? Those who believe are saved, and those who don't believe? (laughs) The concepts don't change the reality. The concepts help us understand the reality that's not going to change. So in other words, that those concepts help me understand I didn't choose God. He chose me. I didn't save me. He saved me. Salvation is not a work of, of man and God. It's a work of God alone. That That's all it does. It helps me understand the reality. It doesn't change the reality. That's how come, to this day, uh, to this day, it it really still angers me that when I got called into the pastor's office to get in trouble for all of this, and he he tried the whole nonsense, what if one of your kids are not the elect? I wish I would have just said, if you're going to play stupid games, if you're going to play stupid games, then there's no point in having a conversation. Either be a pastor, and let's talk about this theologically, but trying some stupid human emotional manipulation, that's not, not only is that not a pastor, that's just messed up. Because the reality is, whether my child is elect or not elect, if they believe they're saved, if they're not believed, they don't believe they're not saved. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you want the feeling that you can talk them into it, but if you believe in free will, you can't talk them into it because why would you want to violate their free will? So it just, I just, I, man, everyone gets so upset over it and just can't take three steps back and go, wait a minute. What are we really saying? Now, we still need to understand it. Why? Because the text makes us have to deal with these issues. Does that make sense? All right. It's like, I don't, I don't, yeah, it just drives me crazy. All right. So God decreed that Christ would die for all men and then de- decreed the election of only some fallen men to believe and be saved. And even that, if you look at the Emerald D in view, isn't it just kind of ridiculous that they're trying, to, they're trying to get rid of the harshness by saying, hey, Christ died for everyone. All right, shh, come here, come here. But he only elected some. <laughs> like, how does that get rid of the harshness? Hey, everyone, Christ died for everyone. Oh, I feel so much better. Okay, but he only elected some. I's't it the same thing? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say something, and I know it's going to be mean, and I know it's going to be harsh, but I'm going I'm, I'm to say this. If you go back in church history and you look at the games sometimes played in systematic theology, you know why the games are played in systematic theology? I hate I'm going to be mean, because the people in the pew don't get it. The people in the pew don't care. So they allow themselves to be manipulated by people playing games with words because they know they can say whatever and the person in the pew doesn't care enough to go, wait a minute, you're saying the same thing. That's, that's for marketing purposes. That's for church growth purposes. Okay, I mean, look, you can, you can try to make Christianity as nice and as polite as you want, but what does Christianity always end up with? If you believe, you go to heaven. If you don't, you are punished for eternity. I don't care how much you dress it up and try to make it sound nice. That's a horrifying truth. Yes? So, but if you just package it a different way and dress it up a little bit, the people in the pew are like, see, ya, I have a nicer form of Christianity. Ooh, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. So, it just it's hard to even read that, not, not even just... Just drives me crazy. All right, so here's the here's the emerald D in view. You ready? Number one, God decreed to create the world and all men. God's decree to create the world and all men. What's that similar to? There are many in view. All right, sounds good. Number two, God decrees that all men would fall. What's the difference here between the Arminian view? They decreed it would happen instead of simply knowing it would happen. Now, I wish, I wish we had everyone here. This is where I wish I had like 5,000 people present. Because if I, if I had 5,000 people pe- uh, present, I would just walk around asking people, so, which one makes you feel better? God foreknowing the fall or God decreeing the fall? What do you think the answer would be? Most people would say foreknowing that would somehow make him feel better. But does it make you feel better from just a logical perspective? Again, because whether he decreed it or simply foreknew it, if he foreknew it and did nothing about it, that is in a roundabout way a decree, right? If I, if I know that 15 minutes from now, for some weird reason, Joel's just going to get up and walk out in the middle of the highway and get hit by a truck, I know what's going to happen. I foreknow it. And he gets up and comes walking by me. I'm like, well, see you later. Hey. And I'm like, hey everyone, come here, look out the window. Boom! He gets hit by the truck. What did I do? I, it is messed up. It is messed up, right? But I basically decreed it, right? You can say, Well, whoa, 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 you didn't actually decree it, but I knew it. I could have just said, Joe, go sit down. If, and I, and listen, if I know exactly when he's getting hit by the truck, all I would need to do is just step in front of him just for a second. Just a slight delay. By the time he gets there, the truck's gone. If I don't do anything to stop it, you may not want to, it's just a matter of the word, decree, allow. See, if we allow it, we feel better. If he decrees it, we get all upset about it. But if you allow it and knowing it's going to happen, are you not in a sense decreeing it? So I don't know why that's such a big like, oh, people lose their minds over this. I, I don't know why. But so what's the first thing in the Emerald view? Every time I look at it, I want to put an L there, another L in it, but it's not. Emerald D. God's decree to create the world is number one. Number two, God's decree that all men would fall. Number three, what do you think number three is? God's decree to redeem all men by the cross work of Christ. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it's written. Yeah, God's decree to redeem all men by the cross work of Christ or by the work of Christ on the cross, however you want to word it, but that's the way it's written. Now, anybody, does that make anyone stop and pause for a second? What, what, what's the issue? <laughs> well, first of all, if you say he decreed to redeem all people, that almost moves it past a hypothetical. So, I, I just want you to think about this from a logical standpoint. If, if, if Christ died for every single person with the intent or the desire to save everyone, that means God's desire and intent is the most universally rejected of anything that's ever happened. Because he desired to to save all people, but not all people are saved. So God constantly is in a state of frustration because his decree, his desire, is never fulfilled. Which would be really weird, yes? Yes? since he's the sovereign, eternal God who works all things according to the counsel of his good will. So how can God work all things according to his will, yet will or desire or decree that everyone will be saved, and yet not everyone will be saved? Is that not just a reasonable question? Yes? Okay, everybody should say yes, because it's it's a reasonable question, right? It's a good question. So, I... I mean, it's not like you can run around and, and... I mean, you can get on Facebook or whatever social media you know platform you're on and ask all of your Christian friends. How many of you are Emeraldians and none of them are going to know what you're talking about? So, to find one so that you can go, wait a minute. So, you say, God decreed to redeem everyone? Or are you saying He just... Desi- because a decree seems to be what? It's an authoritative order. So, that's where I'm kind of having... Like, I don't know why they use the word decree there. I'm not saying I can completely figure that out, but it's where the hypothetical universalism comes in, but a decree seems to move it past hypothetical. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a weird one. Okay, so what's number one again? The Emerald D in view. Creation, number two. Fall, number three. To redeem all men. Please note, all three are decrees. According to the Emerald D in view. Now, what do you think number four is? Election, yes. God's election of some fallen men to salvation and the reprobation of others. Now they have they have salvation and reprobation here. The Emerald D in view brings in reprobation as well. Uh, they they don't word it as a decree um, in this description. They just. It's. I think it's. I think it's implied. Um, in the order of it is the order of decrees? But like, just like in the uh, the Armenian view, sometimes they they purposely left out the view, the word. Here, I'll just read it the way it's actually written. God's election of some fallen man to salvation, and the reprobation of the others. They don't word it as a decree, which is weird because the very next one they put the word decree in again. They leave the word decree out. Maybe. I I don't know. Um, It's just interesting that the word decree is left out there. I don't know why. Because we know that that's significant in the Arminian view. Yes. When they change from decree to foreknowledge. But here they don't even use the word foreknowledge. They they just make it. God's elected some. and And others to reprobation. So. All right. Now. The, 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 the very, I, I think the way they're, it's really weird. It's almost like, I think they're trying to draw this distinction. Remember, what's, their whole desire is that hypothetical universalism, right? So I think this is the way they're trying to word it, okay? God decreed everyone's salvation, but then he steps in and only elects them to that hypothetical so to that hypothetical universalism and then reprobates others, which then if he's going to elect only some and reprobate others, then how can you say uh, there's a decree for, to save everyone if he's going to turn right around and only elect some, right? Does that make any sense? Because he doesn't even know who he's going to elect. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing. Yeah, th- this one just began. You see all of the logical inconsistencies in this one? It's beginning to fall off. Like the, to me, the hypothetical universalism there is only there not for logical consistency. It's only there for marketing. I hate to say it. It's like we're, we're going to try. It's we've got to make it don't sound so harsh, or we're going to drive people away. So I, that one's just so weird to me the way this worded. All right, number six. What do you think? Number or I'm sorry. Number five. No number. Yeah, do I? Yep. Won't. I guess. Or no, he wants all people saved, but, and he provides the way for all people, but he only elects some. So the fact that he wants all people to save makes God doesn't seem so harsh. However, (laughs) however, the very next point, he only elects some. Uh That's what they kept saying. In other words, if God loves everybody, then he must, in some sense, elect and die for everybody. Okay, there you go. So, Emerald D.N. wants to. God God loves everybody, God loves everybody. Yeah, it is in many ways, yeah. So, walking away with Calvinism then we put it all back God is love. God is love, right. But God created the entire situation where knowing our responsibility will put us in hell. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it, it, it still falls apart in lots of ways. Okay, so what's number one? Creation. Creation number two? All men will fall. Men will fall. Number three? Fall. Redeem all men. Four? Elect some to fallen men to salvation and the reprobation of others. And that brings us to number five. God's decree, now they're back to using the word decree, to apply Christ's redemptive benefits to the elect. Then he decrees to apply the redemption provided in Christ only to the elect. So in a sense, Christ died for everyone, but he only applies it to the elect. Well, If he's only going to apply it to the elect, what's the point of dying for everyone? You see, the whole thing is just... Yeah, this this gets a little like just talking in circles after a while. Anybody, anybody need me to repeat any of those five. Okay, are we sure? Okay. I'll give a test here in a minute. We'll we'll find out if Okay. No open book. because okay, you said you didn't need me to repeat it. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> all right. Okay, right, I gotta go all the way back down to where my notes start. Now, we're going to just read kind of a summary of the issues with this view. I mean, I think I've already pointed them all out, but okay. Emerald Deism is called, uh, Deism is called, sometimes I, I refer to it as Emerald Deism. Emerald Deism, it depends on how it's written, okay. It's called hypothetical universalism because it sees God decreeing redemption for all prior to his decree to elect only some. The aim is to present God as a universalist in his saving desire while honoring the particularism of election and salvation by faith alone. However, this scheme depicts the the persons of the Trinity working at cross purposes. The Son dying for all, while the Father in spirit elect and apply salvation only to some. Some. Warfield asks, how is it possible to contend that God gave his son to die for all men alike and equally, and at the same time, to declare that when he gave his son to die, he already fully intended that his death should not avail for all men? In other words, it's, it's logically inconsistent, but it, it creates a, almost a disconnect within the Trinity. Does that make sense? Jesus dies for everyone, but the Father and Spirit are like we're only going to apply this to some. Well, then why would Jesus die for everyone? Right? The, the whole emerald D.N. emerald D.N.ism, however, all the different ways it's written. Um, that those are some of the issues with it. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm looking here. All right. Everybody got that? So, what was the first view? Armenian, what was the second view? Emeraldian or Emeraldianism. I, I, I was leaving out the end there. All right, we got those two. Now, what comes next? We got the next two views, which will be supralapsarianism and infralapsarianism. Now, the, the, the supralapsarian and infralapsarian are the only approaches approved by the great post-Reformation councils, the Synod of Dort and the Westminster Confession of Faith. So after the Reformation, here becomes the agreed upon ones. Does that make sense? So in other words... uh, Basically the reformation led to a rejection of all of these other approaches. Does will that does that make sense? All right, everybody okay with that? Any disagreements? Both the supralapsarian and infralapsarian orders reflect the bible's strong view of a particular election. They also uh, reflect a strong understanding of Christ's atoning work and the Spirit's application of salvation through faith. Infralapsarianism is sometimes called sublapsarianism, meaning that the decree of election is below the decree of sin. The difference between them reflected in their names concerns whether the decree of election logically precedes or succeeds the decree of the fall. Both views teach that God unconditionally chose the elect and that reprobation involves God's sovereign will and the sinner's just deserts. Alright? right? So we'll start with... uh, I was going (laughs) to... Supralapsarianism. And Supralapsarianism order arranges the decrees of God with a primary emphasis on God's will to glorify himself by the gracious salvation of the elect and the just condemnation of the reprobate. All right, here's the order. You ready? Number one, God's decree to predestinate the elect to eternal life with Christ as their head and to predestinate the reprobate to damnation for their sins, all to the praise of his glory. Now, I'll, I'll read that again. You, you may read it again. Okay. You got a lot of things going on in this one. All right, everybody ready? God decrees to predestinate or predestine the elect to eternal life with Christ as their head and to predestinate the reprobate to damnation for their sins all to the praise of his glory. Okay, good. I'm glad someone... Immediately what we realize here is that all the other ones start with what? Creation, here, starts with election, really. Do you think that's significant? Okay, why? What what, what do you think the significance of it is? Now, remember... Okay, well... A couple of things. One, let's always remember when we look at the decrees, we're just trying to think of a logical progression, right? It's 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 not like it's very hard because sometimes we can try to so humanize it like okay, God did this and then waited 15 minutes and did that. This. this is just trying to get a logical progression here, right? A logical understanding. The significance here of putting the election first is that it indicates that salvation wasn't a plan that was formulated after everything goes wrong, that God had already formulated the plan knowing what was going to happen. This is emphasizing that salvation wasn't like, okay, man, everyone messed up, guys. Okay, we got a mess here. Okay, we can clean up on aisle three. We've got a mess. I created this world and it's a mess. Now we need a salvation plan. No, this seems to indicate the salvation plan was in place... Even before the creation plan, logically speaking, or logically speaking, does that make sense? That means God knew everything that was going to happen, planned it. Now, it also could emphasize what is most prominent is not the creation but the redemption of those whom he would create or the condemnation of those whom he would create. So the purpose of creation was simply the place in which his plan of redemption and condemnation would be played out. There are a lot of philosophical issues that could arise from this. All right? Because before this, every single one of them starts with what? Creation. In fact, go back look at the Arminian view and the Emeraldian view. The first one is creation. The second one is what? Fall. Then the election. See how it works? So in the other views, it's almost like God creates everything, the fall happens, and now he's got to formulate a plan. The other ones is like, no, 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 God's plan is already in place. And so everything, and now, does this, does this help you understand the fall a little bit better? By placing uh, this first? What, how does it change your approach to the fall? The fall is a part of God's plan. Now, I'm not a fan of that. Are you a fan of that? I'm not a fan of that. But I don't care which view you go with, as long as you have God knowing what's going to happen before it happens, it has to be a part of his plan. Does everybody understand that? Yeah, mm, There's some major philosophical implications here, but okay. Number two. What do you think number two is? You can probably guess. Creation. Very good. God's decree to create the world. God's decree to create the world. Because if you're going to have a plan to, to redeem some and condemn some, you're going to have to have a creation in which to redeem or condemn, right? Okay. That kind of makes sense, yes? Again, creation is simply there for God's plan of redemption and condemnation to be carried out. It really changes the whole mindset here. Number three. What do you think the third one? Now, I don't like necessarily the way this is... I understand why it's written this way, but I'm just going to read it the way it's written. God decree to permit the fall of mankind. He decrees to permit it. Now, again, why why, why is it worded that way, do you think? Yeah, once again, you're trying to keep God like... It's, it's so weird how in theology, man, we, we spend a lot of time trying to protect God. We spend a lot of time, like, okay, it's like we think we're, we're God's bodyguard, right? Like, okay, here's God. He's all powerful, all knowing, but he needs me to protect him. I gotta make him look good, right? Okay, God, stay back, stay back, stay back. Okay. Hey, everyone. Like, I'm, I'm the press guy. You know, I'm gonna have a press conference and I know everyone's misunderstanding my client, but let me explain his actions. I, I don't know why we feel the need to do that. We don't need to do that because, look, you can play all the games you want in trying to protect God. There's no real easy way to get God off the hook. The minute you say he's all-powerful and all-knowing, you're finished. You're done. Do you understand that? Because if he's all powerful, he can intervene at any time and stop whatever's going to occur, right? And if he's all knowing, he knows what's going to happen before it happens and he has the power in order to stop it if he wants to, but he doesn't. So you can't get God off the hook. So simply saying he permitted the fall, I understand you're saying, well, he's not the author, but it, it, it's, such, it's such a little game. If God permits it, then what does that mean? What is, what is the logical understanding of the fact that God permitted the fall? What, what, what's, what's the logical conclusion anyone, only, I'm not, I'm not, not everyone would have to come to? Part of his plan. Part of his plan. Now, however, you want to try to keep God off the hook, you know, well, it's part of his plan, but he used a secondary cause, so therefore, God actually didn't get his hands dirty. You can work all of that around the way you want. But the bottom line is, it's a part of His plan, and I don't know exactly how we process the fact that sin is a part of God's plan. Like, there's no, I, there. I, people get uncomfortable when I say those things, but I get, I, it makes me uncomfortable because you know, like, you just try to try to just ride that train all the way to the station. If the original sin was a part of God's plan, then what about every other sin? What about your sin? What about my sin? Now, you see where that can lead. Well, if it's a part of the plan, then why does everybody get mad at me? But at the same time, the Bible clearly indicates... That what we do is wrong, even though it's a part of the plan. And we see that even with the people who crucified Jesus, even with Judas. Hey, these wicked men crucified Christ, but it was foreordained, it was predestined, yet they were still called wicked. That's hard to wrap my mind around, but we just have to at least acknowledge that. Does does that make some kind of sense? All right. Oh, we're going to run out of time. All right. So... The first one was God's decree to predestinate right, to eternal life and uh, reprobate uh, to damnation. Number two, God's decree to create the world. Number three, God's decree, again, their words, God's decree to permit the fall. And then number four, God's decree to send his son and spirit to save the elect. All right. Everybody got that? I'm going to try to at least get us, I'm going to at least try to finish this this view. All right. Everybody got those four? Let me repeat them. All right. To send his son and spirit. Yeah, you got, you got to have the son in there. Okay. All right. No problem. All right. And then the next, here's, here, and I'm going to give you, they're going to, they're going to give an advantage and criticism of this view. All right. An advantage of the supralapsarian view is that it fully honors the scriptural language of God predestinating the elect apart from any condition or qualification. It also provides a unified cause and effect relationship to the decrees of God as a whole with each item finding its rationale and what precedes it. In particular, God's decree of the fall is explained in the antecedent decree of election and reprobation. Does that make sense? In other words, they see there's it's a, there's a logical consistency here that fits together. Would everyone agree that it has that? Yes. the only The only problem I really pointed out was he permitted the fall, right? I, I don't like that language, but it all fits together. It fits. Fit, put it. Put it this way. It fits together, makes far more sense than the Arminian and Emeraldian view. And and maybe you think the uh, Arminian and Emeraldian view uh, works better, but I, I would strongly, 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 strongly disagree on that case. Now, critics, what is some criticism of the superlapsarian view? They argue that by placing the decree of election and reprobation before the decree of the fall... It presents God as choosing persons for eternal condemnation without prior consideration of divine justice. So some people don't like that part of it. Critics of superlapsarianism argues that by placing the decree of election and reprobation before the decree of the fall, it presents God as choosing persons for eternal condemnation without prior consideration of divine justice. Okay, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you think their, uh, their problem is? What do you think? What, what precedes the fall? Remember, this, the issue is what precedes the fall, right? Before anyone has ever done. So that doesn't appear to be divine justice. Justice would be. Do it after the fall. Right? Does that make sense? It's like. It's like Sarah gets up. Walks over there. Slaps Joel across the face. And Joel's like. What did I do? Oh it's coming. You're going to mess up later. (laughs) <laughs> Get it out of the way now. All right. <laughs> and he's like, wait, it, it, how do you know? Well, because, well, I've already got a plan what you're going to do wrong, and you're going to do wrong about 2 o'clock. Okay. Right? That You see, from a human perspective, you're like, but well, that's not. But remember. Yeah, not the but right. already right. but rem- okay. not only that, but remember this, okay, because this happens even before the creation. Okay. Just remember this. This Remember one of the things about superlapsarianism is that they, they, they typically it's praised for it being consistent with scriptural language. Jacob, Esau, before they were even born. Before they'd done anything. So the, I, the pushback would be, well, it doesn't... It's perfectly in line with how God operates, but others are like, well, "Well, no, 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 you got to get me the fall first. Get me the fall first, then you can condemn whomever you want." But now you're just playing games, right? Because the oh, this is all eternal, yeah. It's all. It's all. In eternity. Like no matter how you break them down, it's still all happening before it happens. Exactly. Unless you're going to place the decrees within a time frame, which then now i'm not there may be some Armenians out there who may try that you know he he create, he decreed to create the world, then after the world was created, then he he decreed the fall then then he decreed after the fall, in other words, they're placing it actually in time, but typically we understand these to be occurring in eternity past Well, it matters in the sense that it may feel like. You may, it may give you that feeling God's setting everybody up. He's setting them all up. He already knows, he's, he knows what's going to happen. But no... Yeah, exactly. So no matter how you look at it, you end up with the same problem. Does that make sense? But I understand, I understand that initial like, wait, 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 wait. God is condemning people before the fall even occurs? But if you put all of the decrees in the past, or in, the, in eternity past, then you end up with the same issue. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, out. Yeah. Outside of time. Well, uh, I don't want to get into that whole uh, discussion, but yeah. yeah. Exactly. I agree. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. But I'm just trying to help you understand what their what their issue is. I'm trying to help you understand at least what their issue is. All right. Um. Oh man, we're at a... Um. The the classic complaint. It stated something like this. On this hypothesis, the first act of God's will towards some of his crea- creatures is made to be an act of hatred in so much as he willed to demonstrate his justice in their damnation, indeed, before they were considered in sin and consequently, before they were worthy of hatred. That's the, classical thing, wait a minute, how can he condemn and hate someone before the fall well how could he love and hate Jacob and Esau before they were even born? Does that make sense so but you see the you see the pushback there right but i I completely agree that ultimately it just becomes meaningless argument because look at it's a, all of these decrees happened before anything even existed. So you end up with the same problem, unless you're going to argue literally that God's decree did not happen until after these other things occurred. then you have. But even then, if God knew all of those things were going to occur, even if he didn't decree it, he still knew what was going to happen, still knowing he was going to do that. It becomes a meaningless uh, discussion. All right, we'll have to stop there. Any questions? What does all of that, what does all of these issues demonstrate? To some level. Well, it it demonstrates that our ability to try to understand everything about God is greatly limited, right? That God is above our thinking, is above our understanding, it's above our plan. And that no matter how you look at it, everything's working out because God's decrees and God's providence. It's all the work of God. And how that all fits into our our responsibility, we may never quite ever understand it, but we have to just... We can't, we can't do anything to, to get God off the hook. We just got to let God be responsible for what God is responsible for and we just got to live with it. And just remember, even if you remove God from it, it doesn't change this. You still have sin, problems, pain, difficulty, um, no matter how you look at it. So you, you, this is just trying to understand the reality of what we see by going into eternity and figuring out how it all played out there. All right, I'll have to stop right there. Let's pray. Look well, how we come before you this morning. Some very deep, very deep and very complicated issues. Lord, I pray that you will uh, help us continue to just try to think these through, meditate on these, and allow them to humble us that when we stand before you, we we, we don't even have the slightest understanding of everything about you. And that no matter how much we think we know, The more we study, the more we realize we don't know. Let that keep us humble and always willing to learn. And we ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said.